be here and good to see you. Uh, let me just, uh, I just want to tell a little story as I, as I start. Recently, I heard about an angel that showed up at a seminary faculty meeting to honor the dean. The dean was a man of exemplary behavior. And the angel said God had sent him because he decided to reward the dean with his choice of limitless wealth, infinite wisdom, or unmatched beauty. Since the entire staff was present, the dean asked for some advice. So they went around, and to a person, everybody agreed that infinite wisdom was the best choice. And so the dean chose to become the wisest person on earth. Done, said the angel, who disappeared in a cloud of smoke, at which point all eyes turned toward the dean, who sat at the table perfectly quiet and still. After a few minutes of silence, one of his colleagues leaned over and whispered, say something. They were all anxious to hear what the wisest man in the world would say. What grand wisdom was he given? Slowly and carefully, the dean opened his mouth and said, uh, I should have taken the money. <laughs> you see, with all his newfound wisdom, all the dean knew was that he had been given bad advice by his colleagues. You can see from the title of today's message, we're going to look at something that is relevant to all of us. See, although many of you here are smart, I, I know you are, you are smart, you're educated, you have professional knowledge, you have life experience, none of us possesses infinite wisdom. That means we all have a need for direction and guidance in our lives, all of us. You know, I think I've mentioned this before up here that my girls make fun of me because I watch YouTube videos on how to make grilled cheese sandwiches. <laughs> Especially on weekends when Renee's not around and there's nobody to make lunch. And it's not because I don't know how to make one, kinda. <laughs> I just want to know the right way, the best way to make a grilled cheese sandwich. Right, so, I, so I look for a little guidance. And I probably don't need to tell you this, but with the amount of information available on the internet, right, or on social media, or on your device or your phone, you can make some pretty good grilled cheese sandwiches. But really, you can get advice on every topic imaginable for every area of your life from people you don't know people you probably wouldn't open the door to, right? or people you wouldn't normally consult. Right? Isn't that true? And this can be a good thing, or it can be a terrible thing. And my question for you today is a serious one. Where do you get your advice, your guidance, your counsel? You know, mankind has long looked to other things Right? and turned away from God and looked to other things for wisdom and advice, even before the internet. 
Right? Think about it. The serpent in the garden, the stars in the sky, idols that they carved out of wood and stone, the people and the culture around them. And how about this one? Looking deep, deep within themselves, right, to find truth. And these are all things that man has looked to for guidance, all with troubling consequences. This morning, we're going to see what God thinks of this and the danger that befalls anyone who puts their trust in anything other than God and his word. You know, can I just say that I am really encouraged um, seeing the baptisms this morning and seeing these young men, right, Lucas and Jacob, right, up here getting baptized and publicly declaring their faith and trust in the Lord. Right, these are men that are working through what's important in their lives. Right? And this is a, a declaration that God is important and Jesus is, Jesus is important in their lives. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 47. Isaiah 47, we'll read verses 8 through 15. And as we read the passage, I want to point out something important here. It's that God is not speaking to his people here. He's not speaking to the Israelites in this passage. Right? Most of the other chapters we've looked at, he's speaking to the Israelites. Okay, the Jewish people, his people. This morning here in Isaiah 47, he's speaking to the Babylonians. He's speaking to Babylon, the pagan nation that ruled over his people. So starting in verse 8, he says, Now then, listen, you lover of pleasure, lounging in your security and saying to yourself, I am, and there is none beside me. I will never be a widow or suffer the loss of children. Both of these will overtake you in a moment, on a single day, in spite of many sources, I'm sorry, on a single day, loss of children and widowhood. They will come upon you in full measure, in spite of your many sorceries and all your potent spells. You have trusted in your wickedness and have said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and knowledge mislead you when you say to yourself, I am, and there is none besides me. Disaster will come upon you and you will not know how to conjure it away. A calamity will fall upon you that you cannot ward off with a ransom. A catastrophe you cannot foresee will suddenly come upon you. Keep on then with your magic spells and with your many sorceries which you have labored at since childhood. Perhaps you will succeed. Perhaps you will cause terror. All the counsel you have received has only worn you out. Let your astrologers come forward, those stargazers who make predictions month by month. Let them save you from what is coming upon you. Surely they are like stubble, the fire will burn them up. They cannot even save themselves from the power of the flame. These are not coals for warmth. For warmth, This is not a fire to sit by. That is all they are to you. These you have dealt with and labored with since childhood. All of them go on in their error. There is none, there is not one that can save you. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we come before you, and we come before your word this morning, Lord, and we ask that you would speak to us this morning. Make your word alive, Lord. We know that your word is living and sharper than a two-edged sword, and we pray that you would speak to us wherever we're at this morning. We pray your Holy Spirit would use these words and move among us in Jesus' name. Amen. It's interesting how in the middle of this prophecy to his people, Isaiah addresses the unbeliever. What's happening here is that God, God is pronouncing judgment on the Babylonians. Now this is a tough passage in that like, this is a really celebratory day to thank God and to celebrate the baptisms and to worship the Lord. But this is a tough passage. He judges them for their harsh treatment of his people, the Israelites, and for placing their trust in human wisdom, worldly knowledge, and the occult. You know, you might wonder sometimes, does God care about what the unbeliever does? Does he care about what the rest of the world is doing? We know he cares about how we live as believers. But how about the non-Christian who goes about life smugly or complacently? The answer is, you bet he does. Right? He cares. Much of the Bible is a warning of impending judgment to those who live apart from God. He created us to worship him and to be in fellowship with him. But many have lost sight of that. God calls these things out here in Isaiah 47 in our passage this morning. And this was written over 2,500 years ago. But tell me that this doesn't sound like our culture today. He calls them a lover of pleasure. He says they revel in their wickedness. They do as they please, indulging in the gluttony of life. Right? They have no regard for God and his presence and his sovereignty. In their pride, they act safe and secure as if they've got everything under control. When I think of our society, you know, the world around us today, what comes to mind to me is the pride and humanism that underlies just about everything in our society. Our government, our system of education, the entertainment world, the business world, science and technology, right? Over time, all of these sectors, all of these areas of life, right, have pushed God out. They have moved God out. You know, there is a godly way to do these things. There is a godly way to do politics or to do business or education. But man has lost its way. He no longer lets God and God's word inform his thinking. And I see in our world, our world today, the same mentality that Babylon had in the verses we read, in verses 8 and 10. He says, I am, and there is none besides me. That's Babylon speaking, right? We have placed ourselves in the position of God, 
And in many ways, we live in a modern-day Babylon. Not only that, but God condemns. He condemns what they look to for their wisdom and their knowledge. He says they sought their advice, right? You see this in the passage. They sought their advice from sorcery, which is magic and witchcraft. They sought wisdom from astrologers, stargazers, and prognosticators. And we know they sought guidance from their pagan idols. And before we dismiss these things as ancient, primitive practices, we only need to look up astrologers and psychics in our area. Just Google it. Right? Or drive down the street and see the shops for palm readers, palm readers or tarot card readers or spiritualists. Right? Somebody is keeping these places in business. People are frequenting these places, seeking advice. Ultimately, we know, though, it's the enemy, right? It's Satan that's behind these things. For our battle, as it says in Ephesians 6.12, is not against flesh and blood, right? But ultimately, it's against the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil. Beloved, do not dabble, do not consult these things. Do not play with these things or entertain these things. There is a hunger or fascination to believe in the supernatural, to believe in something larger than us. But sadly, many, many are spiritually deceived. In verse 10, God says, Your wisdom and knowledge mislead you when you say to yourself, I am, and there is none besides me. The Babylonians foolishly placed their trust in the world and its wisdom, and this led them to believe that they were beyond God, that God didn't matter. But in verse 11, God says, disaster will come upon you, and you will not know how to conjure it away. You can't trick your way out of this. God's judgment will come, and when it does, there's nothing the Babylonians will be able to do to save themselves. One of the remarkable things about this passage, Isaiah 47, is that we get to see part of the fulfillment of God's prophecy later in Scripture. So I'm going to turn to Daniel chapter 5. Daniel chapter 5, and the passage will be on the screen, but I'm going to start in verse 1. And this is, in part, the fulfillment of the prophecy that we saw in Isaiah 47. King Belshazzar, who was the king of Babylon, and as it turns out, the last king of Babylon, he gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines drank from them. 
and they drank the wine. They praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. You see, when the Babylonians had defeated the Israelites generations earlier, they desecrated the temple in Jerusalem, and they stole some of the items, including these gold goblets. And on this occasion, King Belshazzar, he took them out, and he drank with them. He used them at his party, at his banquet, giving honor to the pagan gods and idols. Now, our God, our God is a God of love. Amen? But I'm sure that this made him hot. Isaiah 42.8, we just need to turn back a few chapters in Isaiah. Isaiah 42.8 says, I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. Right, you see what's happening here? And he says, I will not yield my praise to another or my glory, my glory to another or my praise to idols. God is jealous about his glory. And we cannot put something in place of him as a substitute or mock him without suffering the consequences. In verse 5, it says, Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. Right, this is scary Halloween-type stuff. Right, this is spooky. Okay, but this is the true account. And while they're reveling in their wickedness and their gluttony, a disembodied hand begins to write on the wall. And the proud pagan king Right? He turns white as a ghost. And he starts to shiver in fear, right? And his knees start to knock. Verse 7 says, The king summoned the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. And then he said to these wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck. And he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified, and his face grew more pale, and his nobles were baffled. Skipping down to verse 22, Daniel, the Lord's prophet, is called in. Okay, Daniel is called in, and he's brought in to interpret the message, and he says this. But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all of this. Instead, you set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines, drank wine from them. You praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. 
Okay, but this is key. But you did not honor the God who holds in, in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. And this is what the inscription that was written. Many, many tekel parson. Here's what these words mean. Many, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and been found wanting. Paris, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then in verse 30, it says, That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom. Like God said in Isaiah 47, disaster will fall upon you in a moment. He called on, called on all of his advisors, right? The king, he's desperate, and he calls on his advisors, enchanters, astrologers, diviners, it says, and they could not save him. Heck, they couldn't even read the writing on the wall. Right? And in case you're wondering, that's where the saying comes from. And history tells us, not just scripture, but history tells us that after Belshazzar's death, the great Babylonian Empire collapsed and fell to the Medo-Persian Empire. And in part, this is the fulfillment of Isaiah 47. God's word does not lie, people. And it is a warning to you and to me and to the Babylons of this world. No matter how great you think you are or how much wisdom and knowledge you think you have, God will have his way. Our world says, I am, and there is none besides me. We are the masters of our own destiny. Right? We control the future, the weather, all of these things. And God's reply goes back to Isaiah 46, 9. He says, I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. You see how, how we have switched it around? And we have made ourselves out to be God? Then in Isaiah 46.10, God says, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. Not you, not me, right? not our government leaders or politicians or the influencers we follow on social media. God says, my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. Where? Do you get your advice? Whose feeds, whose blogs, whose columns do you follow? Whose voice speaks most loudly in your life? And where does God and his word fit in? Maybe the more important question is, who do you allow to shape your mind and your heart? You know, for the Babylonians, the story does not have a happy ending, right? It doesn't turn around and everything's better. Disaster was on them in an instant, and for all the counsel they received, it did them no good. 
and could not save them. But for the people of God, right, for the children of God, for those who place their trust in him, God offers his grace and his mercy. He alone is wise and able to save. Jude one twenty five says, To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. You know, I don't know what you came in expecting this morning, but I know God wants to extend his grace and mercy to you. If the last few years have shown us anything, it's that we are not in control of what happens today or tomorrow. We don't have it all in hand, and neither does anyone else. But as God said in Daniel 5, he is the one who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Seek his wisdom. The brilliant Christian writer C.S. Lewis, who came to faith in the Lord after being a staunch atheist and an Oxford and Cambridge scholar, he says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. Beloved, life makes sense. There's illumination in what life is all about. With God as the creator, in light of God as the creator, and his son as redeemer. To find our footing in this world, we must recognize where true wisdom comes from. We must set our hearts on God and his word and avoid being shaped by the influencers, the prognosticators, the talking heads of our times. We must put our trust in Christ alone. He knows the beginning and the end, and only he can save. As we close this morning, as we close the message, um, I'd like to ask you to stand, and we're going to read um, one verse together. If you would stand And we're going to read Acts 4.12 together. Acts 4.12, the word of God says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Let's pray. I want to invite the worship team and the prayer counselors forward. And if you sense God just moving on you this morning and you, you, you feel the need to, to pray with someone um, or to, to lift up a burden, um, please come forward. I invite you forward to talk to one of our prayer counselors and, and, and pray together. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you that the sun has risen. And by it, Lord, and by your word, and by the wisdom of your Holy Spirit, we can understand more of what our lives are supposed to be about. Lord, I pray that you would continue to speak to us each day, that we would move away, Lord, from the things um, 
that are bad influences on us, things that remove us from you, think of things that keep us from aligning our hearts and our minds with you. And you would draw us deeper into your word, Lord, into prayer, into Bible study, into fellowship with one another, into worship of you, and into our relationship with you. Lord, I pray that you would move us and help us, Lord. We are weak and feeble. We struggle. But Lord, you know these things, and you promise to help us, and you have our, our lives in your hand from beginning and end. Lord, we thank you. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.